Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, covering the president at a time of impeachment. So the game in terms of the press and Trump has changed dramatically over the last week or so, really, with news that the House is going to pursue an impeachment inquiry. And it's sort of thrown light on how this White House sort of views the press and treats the press and how the press treats the White House. Um, thrilled to be joined today by Joe Lockhart, who has a lot of insight into this, wrote a piece in today's Washington Post, which we'll talk about, about his time serving as Bill Clinton's press secretary at a time when uh, Clinton was facing impeachment proceedings as well. Joe, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming. Um, before I before we get to the sort of news of the day, I'm sort of in, interested in your just stepping back and looking at the last couple of years of how the Trump team is sort of managed or or mismanaged it's dealing with reporters i mean you how have you been looking at this as you've been watching it well i think there's there's a couple of ways to look at it um one is they have broken a lot of the norms of how white houses communicate with the public you know it used to be the main uh, mechanism was either the president at a press conference or a speech or the white house briefing room um, you know, there has not been a White House briefing in now over 200 days. Uh, so that's gone. Uh, I think most presidents and their political teams have tried to appeal to the people who are with them and then the people who are wavering. They've tried to broaden the coalition continuously beyond the people that elected them um, as a goal. Uh, this administration has done just the opposite. They have only concentrated on communicating to the people that you know, their base, the mm-hmm. people who are with them. So they've gone deep. Follow, they've gone deep rather than broad. Exactly. Right. And, and they I, I assume they believe that'll be enough to take them over the finish line or they it's just the style of the president. It could be a combination of both. The third is they've used uh, more aggressively than any previous president or previous politician the new tools that the Internet and social media platforms provide. Uh, this is the presidency by tweet. And, you know, big announcements are made. People get hired. People get fired. Trade wars are started. They haven't been stopped yet. But when they if they ever are, it'll be by tweet rather than presidential proclamation. Um, so the typical communications construct of Washington and the presidency is broken completely, you know, uh, whether it's obsolete you know, I think what we're supposed to say at this point is this strategy hasn't worked and that this administration is dysfunctional and that the the press operation is broken. But, you know, if you, uh, is it? <laughs> I mean, he's done an amazing job of getting his point of view out and his his poll numbers, despite the absurdity of the last couple of years, have stayed relatively stable. So is there an argument, you know, I mean, do you look, is is there any part of you that looks at how he's handled this and said, you know what, it hasn't been terrible from his point of view? Well, I mean, I look at part of it personally and thought that, boy, if I didn't have to brief, my job would have been easier. And if I, if I could just not tell the truth, it would be a lot less complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, I hear that argument, and I, I really just don't. I'm not lie. sure I believe um, it. I'm just, I'm just throwing yeah, it Yeah, no, it's, it, but it's, it will be tested in 2020. His poll numbers have been re- remarkably stable, but they've been historically the worst numbers any president has seen since 
the Gallup organization started looking at things yeah. like job approval and favorability. Yeah. He he rarely gets above 40 percent. And there's just no president in recent history that didn't get above 50 percent. You know, and, uh, you know, most of the modern presidents had a time when they were at 60, 70 and 80. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's stuck between 37 and 41. So I think that's an argument against the theory. I think what they're betting on is, and and this happens in politics a lot, which is you win one way and you think that's the only way to win. And their formula in 2016 was, we're going to energize our base and depend on the fact that we can demonize our opponent to such an extent that we'll squeak by. So a lot of this will depend on how energized their base is, um, how much the current strategy they're employing works, and who the opponent is and their ability to demonize them. Um, whoever their opponent is will not come with the history that Hillary Clinton came. You know, whether you believed Donald Trump's version of her or you believed the version she was selling, there's no one in the Democratic field, including uh, former Vice President Biden, that the public feels that way about. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be harder to make the issue the other candidate's character when you have to defend three and a half years of being president and what you got done and what you didn't get done, and then all of the things, extracurricular things you've done. I don't think there's anyone who will say with any certainty right now that he won't be reelected. I'm skeptical that he will be, um, but I can't say with certainty. Yeah. Yeah. And then you'll find that everyone does it this way, yeah. uh, you know, because pol- politics is a imitation business. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever worked the last time, everyone's going to do the next time. Yeah. Let, let's turn to the press now and the, how, how you see the press coverage of him and of this of this part of the cycle. I mean, I know that from I just know and I know from reading this Washington Post piece that, you know, being in this impeachment process is brutal and that the coverage is brutal. And you write, I thought I thought your piece today was really effective in terms of just conveying the sort of like dark bunker and and all-encompassing sort of mentality that envelops you when you're in the middle of something like this. How do you think the press has done dealing with this most extraordinary character? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Um, uh, I, I think... This, in some ways, is the golden age of journalism. Uh, it is, you know, newspapers have, you know, gotten back to the into the game in a major way. The, you know, the competition that goes on daily between the Washington Post and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the LA Times and, you know, all of the other players reminds me of when I first got into this in the early 1980s. But I think what Trump has been able to do is expose uh, some real flaws in journalism writ large. One big one is, what do you do when someone just lies incessantly? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the media has just struggled mightily with this. Uh, and across the, across the board, this isn't just cable news or print or radio or digital. There's, there's just been this understanding that politicians will be careful and walk right up to the line of lying, but not go over it. Mm-hmm. Well, Trump has trampled the line, mm-hmm. and the media still hasn't figured out quite how to deal with that. Although you're seeing some things now where, you know, MSNBC cuts away yeah. um, uh, at some point. CNN, within the last week, has started doing graphics yeah. that basically say what he said was a lie. So it has taken, I think, two and a half years to really figure out how to deal with, you know, a serial liar. The first impulse 
was to actually call him a liar um, or use the word lie, which was, I think, progress in terms of describing this for what it, what it was. But but what what should people do? Do you think that fact-checking and sort of correcting them on the air, I mean, does that work? Or even if it doesn't work, is it our responsibility no matter what? I, I thought the MSNBC thing was interesting because it wasn't correcting them. It was just ignoring them, basically saying, you know what, this is like, forget it. We're out. And I, 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 yeah, there's and part I, of me that thinks I, that's I, more appropriate. You know, I've been saying this for a while, and, and no one agrees with me, so take it for what it's worth. But I, I think particularly on television and radio, there is a, an implicit agreement between newsmaker and journalist that you're going to be playing by the same set of rules. You're going to try your best to tell the truth, and in return for that, and to be as responsive as you can – to whatever is being asked or the issues of the day, you get access to them putting you out live. Yeah. Now, it's really only the president who regularly appears live on you know news programs. The Speaker of the House doesn't, unless we're in the middle of impeachment. It's just the president. It is a unique yeah. um, lever of power. Yeah. But there is an agreement there, and Trump has broken his uh, end of the agreement yeah. uh, by lying just openly. So what I think they should do is say, you know what, we're not going to not put you on the air, but we're not going to put you on live. Mm-hmm. We're going to let you talk, and then we're going to have an editorial person be ready to, as you're speaking, either put it on in a graphic or beforehand to say, we're about to show you the president. And when he says these three things, he's not telling the truth. But mm-hmm. we think you have a right to see it. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you... Give him 15 minutes to rant and rave on live TV, and then a couple talking heads come on afterwards and say, well, that wasn't true. The damage is done. Um, You know, people, the impression is left. Uh, You can't unsee it. So, you know, I I do think that if I were, you know, if I was running a cable network, I would not put him on live because he's, he has lost his right. Uh, yeah. to, to be on because he won't keep up his end of this bargain. Yeah. No, and I definitely feel that in, in sort of more, even more so with his spokespeople. Like, it just seems to me that they've completely given up their right to the airwaves if, if they're just going to, like, routinely make yeah. stuff up. I don't know why they keep having him on. I think the White House should brief on a daily basis because I think it's in the White House interest to brief on a daily basis. Yeah. But if I was a news manager at a cable network, I wouldn't put it on live with yeah. the people that have been doing it. Why Why do the bookers keep putting them on? You know, again, I, I, there are some structural problems with journalism. One of them is that when the president of the United States is going to address a newsworthy issue, we should put it on live. But why have Kelly uh, on, think- Kelly and Conway on? You know, that's a harder one. And I think she's she's less visible than she used to be for the very reason that people are just tired of it, you know, in the news business. But you're you're right. There's you know, there's a pretty simple rule that if you come on and you lie enough, you shouldn't come on again. I mean, you know, why why is why is Anthony Scaramucci uh, a darling of cable TV? You know, he was in politics for 11 days because people want to see him. Yeah. Uh, you know, and people, you know, there's an entertainment bent to the news industry that, you know, you can't deny. There's this idea that, you know, you have to be even handed. Mm-hmm. This was the, the big problem in 2016. So, uh, you know, if Trump has this problem, his opponent must have a problem. And in 2016, it was no matter what he did, you know, whatever travesty he created that day, 
following it would be a piece about Hillary Clinton's emails, yeah. which was, was the most overcovered, exhaustive error in judgment among journalists for a very, very long time. And I'm not saying that it wasn't a story. It was not a six-month story. Yeah. And certainly not a two-and-a-half-year story. You, you cannot turn around right now and not and miss a story about Joe Biden and Ukraine when yeah. there's no story there. Yeah. Um, or there's, a, there's actually a story there, which is a good one for him, yeah. uh, that you know, people are just not covering in a way that they would understand it. Yeah. So we're now in the middle of this impeachment process. How, how, did, the, how did the coverage of President Clinton change during that moment? Is there a kind of a feeding frenzy that locks in? Does, did the tone or approach of the coverage change in a way that you, you saw? Well, it's, you know, it's a really interesting thing to look back on because, and these, you know, comparing the two are a little bit of apples and oranges for sure. a couple of reasons. But the feeding frenzy part of the Clinton time were, was really the investigative uh, portion of this run by Ken Starr, yeah. the independent counsel. Mm-hmm. Then there was a real sense of every day you were, you know, there was another leak out of the office with another piece of information, you know, kind of building this public case against uh, the, the president. In the case of Trump now, the, we're in the investigative part. Yeah. You know, we went through Mueller, which was a, you know, a stealth investigation because they didn't show anybody anything. And now we're doing an investigation like people in Washington are accustomed to where, you, you know, you get an update three times a day of, you know, what they found. Yeah. Um, so 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 that's different. And so by the time we got to the impeachment part of it, we actually felt like we were playing on a much more level playing field. It was a bunch of Republicans fighting a bunch of Democrats. You know, it was a little bit of a jump ball. And in fact, I think we won that fight. Yeah. Um, you write in the post that you you guys knew what the outcome was going to be, um, yeah, and you knew yeah. what you were going to say afterwards. You said, we knew the outcome, and we had a strategy. We would say, this is all partisan, and the president would stay focused on the people's business. Simple. Yeah, and it, it was simple, and it was a it was a effective message, and most importantly, it was a durable message. It's, you know, I, I, I've been talking today a little bit about you know, the president changed his message today uh, because when Jeff Mason asked him a question yesterday about what did you hope the uh, Ukrainian president would do, Trump realized his answer doesn't work mm-hmm. because you know, he wanted the investigation. Whistle- <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so today, you know, he's got a message now that's durable, which is I did it. I do it again uh-huh. and I'll do it with other countries because there's nothing wrong with it. And yeah. he'll just keep repeating that and repeating. And that's a message that has some chance of working as opposed to what they were doing before this. Yeah. I think underlying both of these things, and, and I think gives you, hopefully gives people some insight into how it's covered, is the media does like to look at these things as a political contest where there's a winner and a loser. Mm-hmm. And when we got to impeachment um, in 1998, it, it, was a, it was a partisan conflict. Yeah. And the fact that we were better at bringing our case and, you know, sort of executing our strategy, we got a dividend with the press. Because uh-huh. they, they like to reward winners and punish losers. Uh-huh. Um, I, that may sound overly simplistic, 
But I've been doing this a long time, and that they're really that is one of the driving factors. And you don't think it was partisan? Now, you don't think it was liberal? No, no, not yeah. not, not partisan. I, yeah. I think the press is decidedly nonpartisan. They, they, they want to show that you know in their stories that somebody won and somebody lost. Yeah. Now fast forward to the Trump um, invest, investigation. I think there was a sense among the press that as serious as everything that was raised in the Mueller uh, report, that the way Bill Barr handled it and all of that, that the Trump people had actually done something very smart, and there was a dividend for kind of winning mm-hmm. that battle. Mm-hmm. What's happened now is we're, we're in impeachment, and impeachment is a different battle. And I think they're looking at this and thinking, well, Trump is losing this mm-hmm. um, based on a lot of factors. He's now suffering from what he benefited from, you know, not four or five months ago. And there, there is a, you know, I think there is an overall sense that whoever has the political upper hand gets an advantage in the way that the story is covered, as opposed to, you know, here are the facts, you make up your own mind. I, I've always viewed political coverage as everybody wants to be contrarian. If you're up, they want you down. If you're down, they want you up. You didn't see, that wasn't the, that wasn't the dynamic that you saw. I think there's a good bit of that in um, the presidential races. Yeah. Uh, where as you, you know, the closer you get to the possibility of actual being president, the more people want to take you apart and yeah. look under the hood and see every, you know, show you things. This is a little bit different. I, I just think that there is a, handicapping of political strategy that's built into the system. Mm-hmm. Did you not, you didn't feel during the Clinton impeachment process that the press was sort of rooting for impeachment? That's because it's a hell of a story. I divided again into two sections. I think that during the star investigation, there was a sense that, you know, the, the, the real value to a reporter to get a prominent place in the paper or to be the lead of the evening newscast was when you found something that was damning. Yeah. Not that they were rooting for Star, but they were rooting for a good story. Yeah. I think there, there was a strong sense as Pelosi was holding everyone back that she was holding back a great story. Mm. And there was, you know, she was not getting great press mm. um, when, in fact, her strategy was perfect. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, it's you know, she she literally was saying the old phrase of, you know, don't shoot. till you see the whites of their eyes? Yeah. She was waiting until this thing was set and she was willing to let it go if, it, if the conditions on the ground didn't change. Yeah. And I think there was a sense of, hey, this could be a historic moment. And the person standing between us and, you know, something historic at which, you know, the, you know, the, the older guys in the newsroom got to cover in 98 and Carl Bernstein's still around. He got to cover it in 74. Yeah. And, you know, the obstacles, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Uh, and I give her credit for paying no attention to that yeah. and not worrying about it. And it's, you know, institutional power allows you to do that. Yeah. So I do think it's, you know, whether it's a run up to war or a run up to impeachment, there, there is a bias, you know, people have asked me a lot about the liberal bias in the press. And I say, I don't think there's a liberal bias. I worked for a president who in 1998 got the worst press of any president up to that point. Yeah. I think there's a bias towards action yeah. versus inaction. And that, you know, in and of itself 
favors progressives over conservatives because conservatives did believe that markets should decide things, government should intervene. Progressives believe that government, the markets are imperfect and the government has to impose itself on the market often, you know, in a way that provides action to, to, to help equitably manage, you know, the, the free markets. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the bias, you're right, the bias is for action, for yeah. something big to happen. And it, you know, it, it infects the system in a bunch of some imperceptible ways with some things, things that if you take a step back, you can say, hey, everybody's disappointed that he's not getting impeached. Yeah. So one one last question based on your experience then what does the what what are the pitfalls that reporters covering this really need to watch out for i mean it it strikes me that um this is exactly the moment when any screw up is really going to be used in dramatic fashion yeah. by trump and his team and so i think it's it, it, you really if you're a news organization you have to be so careful right now but what is your sense of like things that either you saw happen in 98, 99, or you can just sort of sense that is a trouble spot that reporters need to be wary of? Well, I I think you've put your finger on one, which is to be uber careful. Uh, One of the things that, you know, uh, the initial strategy during the um, beginnings of the Starr investigation and the Monica Lewinsky uh, uh, portion of it was to basically stay alive. Yeah. And one of the ways to stay alive was to get everybody to back off a little bit. And one of the more effective ways we did that was highlighting stories that were demonstrably wrong. Uh-huh. And nobody wanted to have the full force of the White House pointing out how wrong a story was. I, you know, I have a I'll give you an example. Um, there was a story I reported from The Wall Street Journal. Ironically, I, I can say this now, it, it was Glenn Simpson, who's become famous since mm-hmm. then. Who, who called me one day and said, I've got report that so-and-so said this to the grand jury, and, you know, can can you guy get a reaction? And I said, Glenn, probably not, but I'll try to run it down. What's your deadline? He said 5 o'clock. I ran it down. It turns out the person that he thought had said that hadn't even testified yet. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't have said it to the grand jury. Mm-hmm. And I called Glenn, and, you know, well before 5, and said, Glenn, you know, I've got to wave you off that story. Here's why. And there was this long pause and he said, well, we have a problem because we just moved it on the Dow Jones Newswire. We were afraid someone was going to scoop us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after I finished yelling at him and, you know, Glenn's a big boy, he wasn't intimidated by that. Um, I said, well, you know, get your editor on the phone. We're going to have to fix this. So he did. And um, I remember the editor, Alan Murray, said, well, we'll just do a correction on Dow Jones Newswire. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's not good enough. You have put this story out into the nervous system, this ecosystem, and putting something on Dow Jones Newswire is not going to fix anything. And he said, well, what do you want? And I said, I want a correction on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. And he rightly said, but the story never ran in the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And I said, but your readers you know, also read Dow Jones. So the next day, in a little box on the front page, they, and it was amazing how they wrote it. It was and a story that never appeared in this newspaper. We want to say that we got this wrong, and yeah. you know it had the it had the impact that I wanted. That's an amazing story, and it sounds it's it all sounds very civilized and polite. You, what was your threat? You know what? My threat was I was appealing to their sense of journalism. Oh my God! This is so. They, this they is such created, a this is such a time capsule of a time that, yeah. gone by. <laughs> well, you know, but I think they understood, and I and I give them credit 
for dealing with it, that these stories are damaging. Yeah. Um, and, and they do put everyone on their heels. You, I think you saw a bit of that this week with the New York Times story that really the, the story was fine. The headline overhyped it. Um, and all of a sudden, every Republican in town was saying, look, Adam Schiff was behind this whistleblower. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you're going to see. It was more than a headline. It, the framing was a bit off on that. But, but anyway. Yeah, it, you, you're right. You're right. I, mean, I was being generous. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, that story has gone away. But for a lot of Americans, they're like, oh, maybe this 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 guy Schiff isn't uh-huh. uh, the impartial guy. You know, you think he was. I think the other thing they need to do is to, and this may sound Pollyannish, is just to remember how important this is. This mm. isn't your day-to-day fight. This isn't about who's moving the polls and what direction. It's a, it's about whether the president abused his office or not. It's that simple. And if he did, what's the appropriate uh, remedy? I think if they keep it that simple. They will not get caught up with in who's winning and who's losing, mm-hmm. and you'll get better coverage. I, I actually think if you look at the last week to 10 days, I think the coverage has been excellent. Yeah. Um, I think it's been you know deeply and well-reported. I think it's been contextual. I think um, with the exception of I think some people have been irresponsible with the way they've treated Biden um, – uh, but I think most reporters are trying as hard as they can to say, you know, he's done nothing wrong. Not only has he done nothing wrong, he did something right here. And yeah. it's being, you know, is being, you know, the night, the 2019 version of Swift voted on it. You know, that the, there's a beacon there that they should never lose sight of, uh, that it's not about the day to day. It's 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 about a much more important principle. You know, this isn't, you know, a budget deal. Yeah. where there will be a winner and a loser. Uh, there, there aren't really winners here, but the question is, is the system protected? Yeah. Joe, it's great to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's good. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Um, so we don't usually tell people to read stuff off of CJR, but you can read Joe Lockhart's op-ed in the Washington Post that appeared yesterday about his time as uh, Clinton's press secretary. It's called, I Worked in the White House During Impeachment. Trump's team isn't ready for it. And you can read everything else going on in terms of journalism and politics and journalism in general on CJR.org and on our engagement app, Galley, which is also accessible through the CJR site. Thanks for listening. See you next week.